Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So last week we talked all about how sometimes you have to stop before you go. And uh, of course, having a snow day last week with all the ice and stuff, it was a good reflection to go, where is Jesus in our lives? Uh, Do we just leave him at church or do we realize that he's with us wherever we go? And then a couple weeks ago, if you're here with us, we kicked off the year in Exodus 3 and 4. And we talked about how God has gifted us. He's, He's given us some things and he calls us to serve or to lead in some particular ways. But sometimes we're like Moses and we go, well, you know, I don't, we have our excuses. We don't feel like we're qualified for it. You know, we've got a list of excuses, but God has gifted us and he's called us to do something and we need to do it knowing that God will be with us as we go. And this week we're going to be talking about evangelism. In fact, the title of today's message is go across enemy lines. And I even loved in the video that Pastor Jeremiah, he talked about how when you go into the plane, you're going across enemy lines to go infiltrate that area. And that's kind of going to be the idea and the theme that we're going to be talking about today. Now, I know that for some of us, when we hear the word evangelism, we're like, awesome, you know, because it's not like one of our most favorite words. It's a very churchy word, you know. And for a lot of us, when we think of evangelism, our heart might start racing a little bit. Palms might be getting a little sweaty. And we often think about all the worst examples of evangelism. Maybe for you, you just are thinking about the time when it's been a really long day. You're at the dinner table with the family, ready to reconnect with them again. You're about ready to dig in and eat. And then what ends up happening? You have a knock on the door. Somebody's trying to share their faith with you, right? Or maybe you're at school or uh, you're, you're at work and there's somebody that you know who needs to hear about Jesus and you're looking for these opportunities and you're planning it out in your head and you're like, okay, I've got this opportunity. This is how, this is my end. This is what I'm gonna do. And then right as you're about to share it, you back away from it a little bit and you get ready to share it again. And all throughout the day, you're planning it and you're thinking about it. And you're like, how am I gonna share this with these people? I gotta tell them this. And then by the end of the day, you haven't shared it. You've just been scared the whole time and you may not see that person again. Or maybe for you, you're evangelizing to somebody you've known, you built a relationship up with them and you're talking to them about it and you're like, hey, you know, you're sharing the gospel and all of a sudden they say, well, hold on just a second. I wanted to let you know that um, I am part of a church and I'm actually being groomed to be a leader in the church. You're like, oh, that's great. Well, what church is it? And then they tell you the church of Satan. And um, I just want to let you know that's a true story. That's not me being, uh, trying to be hyperbole or anything like that. That actually did happen. It happened to Devin, our operations manager here at Awaken. And uh, he was witnessing to this guy, Campus Ministries, and he was witnessing to a guy in the Church of Satan. And so uh, if you want to find out the whole story, you could go talk to him. He'll be out in the lobby later. And he'd love to share that story with you. But I asked him, how many times did you witness to Satanists? And he only told me one time out of the hundred. So... Don't let that scare you. Go, oh, great. That's going to be me the one time. It might be, but if nothing else, you'll have a funny story with it. But I think ultimately, though, when we think about evangelism, we think about all the strange examples, all the strange things that happen to us. Evangelism can scare us a little bit, but I don't think it should scare us as much as it should. When it comes to evangelism, I think there's a few things that we need to understand that would help us be a little less nervous and a little bit more prepared. See, evangelism takes time uh, for us to get used to doing. It reminds me of something I read this last week about uh, Mount Everest. And one of the things I learned about Mount Everest was that about 17,000 feet up, there's actually a thing called a base camp. 
And there's two of them. There's one on the north side of the mountain and one on the south side of the mountain. And if you're going to climb Mount Everest, you don't just go and decide one day I'm going to climb it and you go straight up to the top. You have to stop at one of these base camps. And you do that for a few days. And the reason why is because you have to adjust the altitude. You have to repack your gear. You have to make sure that you're rested, that you're well fed. And you need to build up a relationship with the people that you're going to be doing the climb with. And part of the reason why is because if something were to go bad, you need to be able to trust those people with your life. And so you could say this, base camp is necessary if you're going to reach the summit. See, any expert climber would say that it is necessary. It's not optional for you to stop at one of these base camps. You need to stop at the base camp for your own safety and for the safety of those that you are climbing with. However, base camp was never meant to replace the summit. Think about that for just a second. You don't put an expedition together to climb Mount Everest, and then you get to the base camp and you just call it a day. It might be tempting to do that. I know for me, if I were to ever decide to climb Mount Everest, I might get to one of those base camps 17,000 feet up and go, well, you know what? I see this kind of party atmosphere with these people, some snacks, you know, warm sleeping bags, killer view, might take a couple pictures and say, I climbed Mount Everest, but did I climb it? No, I only made it to the base camp. And something similar can happen in our lives when it comes to our church experience. See, I know growing up, for me, I often viewed what happened on church on the weekend as the summit, that all God wanted for me was to go to church. And as long as he saw me at church, I got credit for going, and that was the summit of my experience with him. And for some of us, our church experience can be our summit on Mount Everest. But church on Sunday is not the end goal. Church is our base camp. We need to get together We need to worship. We need to get fueled up in the study of God's word. We need to stir up one another. We need to pray over one another. We need to talk to one another and then get back out there and continue the climb. See, God has something much greater in mind than just sporadic weekend church attendance. See, the Bible tells us that we once were an old, we had an old nature, but we now have a new nature. That we once were a certain way, but now we have been transformed. It says that the old is gone, and behold, a new creation. We are transformed people. But not only have you changed, but as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, what you're going to discover is that you are now a transformation caster. There comes a point when you want to share what you've experienced with other people. We could say it this way. Your life was changed to help other people's lives change. You're not the end of the story. You're a part of the story. The good news of Jesus doesn't end with you. It continues through you. Jesus has a plan for you and me, and the plan is to change our world. When we hear that, change our world, we go, well, that sounds kind of big. It sounds kind of scary. How do we do that? Where do we start? You don't go big. You go small. In fact, Mother Teresa was asked one time, she said, she was asked, how do you feed the whole world? She said, you start with one. See, any all mass movements didn't begin with the masses, a bunch of people. It started with a few people who wanted to make a difference. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do as well, to make a difference in our world. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses up on the screen, or you could download the YouVersion Bible app. There you'll get the whole passage. You'll get the sermon notes as well. So I would encourage you to do that as well. But really today, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 10, a meeting between two men. 
who were seen as enemies. They didn't have very much in common. Their worlds would never have intersected, but God brings these two guys together. And so let's read Acts chapter 10, starting in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a, na- a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Stop right there for just a second. Because what we're learning about this guy Cornelius is a lot of things. He's a righteous dude, right? Like he's praying, he's giving to the poor. He seems like he's got his whole life together. Like he's doing a lot of good things on the outside. But one thing is not talked about in here in describing him. He's far from Christ. He's a Gentile man who doesn't know Jesus. He's got it all together, but he's missing that one important thing. Verse three says, at about the ninth hour of the day, He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he he stared at him in terror, which is what I would do as well, and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Basically what he's saying is God has heard your heart. He knows where you're at. In verse five, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who's just a guy who specializes in leather goods, whose house is by the sea. So he sounds like he's got great property. Leather pays well, all right? When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. So here's what's happening. God comes to Cornelius at the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock. And this is significant because this is the hour of prayer for the Jewish people. And so at an hour where the Jewish people are supposed to be lifting up their voices to God, God has his voice to send on a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. And he says, Cornelius, I want you to get some guys together and you're going to go meet this guy named Peter. He's a Jewish apostle. You have nothing in common with him. Your lives will never intersect. You, you guys are seen as enemies, but I want you to send some men so that they can bring Peter back to you so that you guys can have a meeting. Now, while all this is going on in verses 7 through 15, you can read it later, but Peter's at Simon the Tanner's house. And at lunchtime, he goes on the rooftop to pray and he's up there and God takes this opportunity to speak to him in a vision. And in this vision, God lowers this blanket from heaven full of animals that by Jewish law would be unclean and dirty to eat. They would never have eaten these things. And a voice tells Peter, hey, you need to kill and eat these animals. And Peter's deeply offended and he cries out. He goes, man, I have never eaten anything unclean. And Peter's not talking about having a clean diet, by the way. It's not talking about paleo or uh, gluten-free or low-carb, high-protein. He's not talking about any of those kinds of things. He's like, he's saying, how could you ask me to do something that I've never done in my entire life? Why would you ask me to violate my personal convictions? And then God looks at him in verse 15 and he says, hey, Peter, if I made it, it's not unclean. And then he says this in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
In verses 17 through 20, this is what I want you to see. That God is orchestrating a meeting between a Gentile named Cornelius who's up in Caesarea and a Jewish man named Peter who's an apostle in Joppa. And I think it's really hard for us to fully understand and comprehend just the differences that would have existed between these two people, between the Jews and the Gentiles. See, the Jews were known as God's chosen people. They were chosen to be a blessing by God. The problem is, is that they thought that by being chosen, that meant that they were God's favorites. And they thought, well, since God has chosen us, that means that we've got this thing figured out. We've got it all together and other people don't. And there were lines of division, separation between the Jewish people and other people that the Jews viewed as spiritually toxic. And Peter's a Jew and Cornelius is a Gentile and there would have been a wall of division that separated them. And God is trying to break through this wall and bring them together. And then in verses 24 through 33, we can read that Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. And I could kind of imagine Peter steps off the camel, maybe dusts himself off a little bit, and then he is walking up to this door very cautiously because he's the foreigner. He's the outsider here. And then Cornelius gathers all his friends and family together into his house, and Peter steps inside, and they greet one another. And Peter and Cornelius kind of swap stories onto what God said to them and what, how God has brought them together for that meeting. And then I love what Cornelius says to Peter. And if you're reading the story on your own, you might have just breezed right past it, but I think it's significant for what we're talking about today. And it's in verse 33. It's Cornelius. He says, so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Basically what Cornelius is saying is, hey, I know things are probably a little intimidating right now for you to be here. I know you're probably feeling a little bit out of your comfort zone right now. I know you're laying your reputation on the line for even showing up to my house, but I am so glad that you have come. And now, and, and, and Cornelius then goes, you know what, now that we're all here, now that we're all gathered, we want to hear a message from God. So Peter, tell us a message and Peter's kind of put on the spot there, which is one of my uh, worst nightmares, being put on the spot and having to share something. But Peter says this in verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In summation, Peter is basically saying, hey, God has no favorites. See, I love how Peter is right here. He's personable. He's humble in this moment right now. Before he delivers this message that Cornelius, his friends, and his family need to hear. They need to hear this message. But before he says any of those kinds of things, he says, hey, let me tell you what God's been doing in my heart. Let me tell you how I've been working on, how I've been worked on. Peter's like, I've been convinced for so long that I believed in such a way that I felt like I was God's favorite. I was his chosen people. But Peter's like, you know what I'm learning over time? God is showing me that the gospel is for everyone. And the same is true for us today. There are going to be people that God is trying to orchestrate a meeting between you and someone else that you're going to have nothing in common with. You might look a little different, talk a little bit different, come from different places, have nothing in common at, at all. But God is trying to bring you two together, orchestrate a meeting because the gospel is for everyone. And then Peter, as clear, as concise as he could be, he says this in verse 36. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, basically the gospel starts with Israel's for the Jews first, then for the Gentiles, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. See, this message that Peter gives his family was not only for them, but it's for us as well. That there is peace with God through Jesus. Now remember again in verse one, Cornelius, he was a righteous dude, right? He's giving, he's praying, he's doing all the right things, but he was missing this one thing. And that is a relationship with Jesus. This is good news that there can be peace with Jesus. We live in a world that is far from peaceful. And watch it on the news, turn on our, our, our news feeds and see that we live in a far from peaceful world. We have people who do not have peace inside and they're trying to find peace in all these things, trying to find peace in all kinds of stuff, but it's only found in Jesus. But this word peace implies something, that there must be a war going on. We need to know that God is at war. And he's not at war with you. He's not at war with me. He's not at war with a group of people. God is at war with this thing called sin. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. And we're all in need of a savior. And no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how many times you attend church, no matter how much money you give to church, no matter how many good things you try to do as a person, you will never be good enough to be with your heavenly father unless you have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Sin is fun for a while. Otherwise, it it wouldn't be sin, right? It's fun. But then it leaves you messed up, and then it'll leave you empty. That's what God is taking aim at, the sin in this world. Sin, at its core, you could boil it down to two things. It's pride and selfishness. You think about lust, greed, anger, envy, jealousy. All those things are all boiled down, rooted in our pride and our selfishness. We all have this sin condition. And no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how good your intentions in this life are, we still have this sin problem. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that you can live your life to the fullest and have a hope and a peace through Jesus. And so Peter delivers this message to Cornelius, to his friends and to his family that they can have peace in Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, why have we spent the last several minutes going over the story? Why is this in the Bible? What does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Why would God talk to the Gentile when the Jews are supposed to be praying? Why does God do this whole blanket, kill and eat the animals thing? Like, what is the point of this story? Why does God try to bring these two guys together? And it's simply this, that God always uses people to reach people. I love that about God. God could save any one of us without any of us. God could just speak by his Holy Spirit and we could be saved. And there's been examples. I know some people who've just one day opened up the Bible and they started reading and God through the Holy Spirit spoke to them and their lives were forever changed. But more often than not, God always will send another person into your life or my life to speak truth and grace. At some point in time, you can read all throughout the book of Acts. Do it on sometime on your own time, read through it. And you will see that God's always using people to reach other people. Some examples are, there's this Philippian jailer. He's got two prisoners named Paul and Silas. And they decide to have a worship concert in the middle of the night and some crazy things happen. And what ends up happening? This jailer gets to know Jesus. There's a woman named Lydia and she's a Jewish person. And there's this guy named Paul and he's a Jewish person. And the only thing that these two people have in common is their Jewish heritage. And so Paul uses that to preach the gospel to Lydia. 
You also, you have this Ethiopian eunuch. He's interested in the pages of scripture. He wants to know more. And he's like, I wish I could understand more. And then there's this guy named Philip. And on the side of the road, he explains the scriptures to him. God always uses people to reach other people. Those are only a few examples. Listen, God wants to use you and wants to use me to reach other people. So go across enemy lines. The gospel doesn't begin and end with you. It's not like, well, I'm saved, I'm good to go. No, we've got a job to do. That's go across enemy lines and have a meeting with someone so that they can hear the good news of Jesus. So what is evangelism? Because evangelism is a very churchy word, right? Some of us, we hear that, like I said, and we, we've, get, we've got all these emotions. We've got all these feelings. But what it is, is it basically is simply telling people that you've been given something good and it has changed you. And it's not because you're smarter than anybody else. It's not because you know more or because you have everything figured out. You've just been given something good and you want to tell anyone and everyone about it. Evangelism, I think, can be about building real relationships with people, just like we see here in Acts chapter 10 between Peter and Cornelius. See, it's not our job to argue people into Jesus. If you can argue someone into Jesus, they can be argued out of it as well. It's simply our job to say, I have found something good. It is true. It is life-changing. I want to share it with you too. I want you to experience what I've experienced. And so real quick, I want to give you three practical ways that we can apply this story to our lives. And the first one is evangelism can be as simple as sharing your story. Evangelism can be as simple as sharing your story. So what is your story? It's what God is doing in your life, how he's changing you, how he's working on you, how he's molding you, how he's shaping you, that you once did certain things. You once lived a certain lifestyle. You once did these kinds of things. You were marked by these sins, but God came in. And changed all of that. It's your story. You may not be an apologist. You may not be a theologian. You may not be a Bible scholar. You may still have to go to your Bible and go, where's Acts chapter 10? Let me go to the concordance real quick. You know, like you might still need to do those kinds of things. But listen, you are a a pro at your story. You know you. I think about Paul. When Paul went to go uh, evangelize, more often than not, what he would do is he would share his story. He was a smart guy. He knew the Bible well. He was an intelligent guy. But more often than not, he would say, hey, let me tell you something. I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst. I killed people. But God came in and he changed me. And he's doing this in my life. And let me tell you about what God can do for you. Why did Paul do that? Because he knew the power of his own testimony. He was trying to build a bridge to his listeners. And that should be our objective as well, to build bridges and not burn them. Our job as individuals and as a church is not to treat evangelism like a debate. And if you treat it like a debate, I think we might need to change our thinking on that a little bit because evangelism doesn't mean that we have it all figured out, that we know all the answers, that we don't struggle with questions anymore. Evangelism can be about sharing our story and letting Jesus be the one who changes them after all. That's what he does. I've never changed anyone. Jesus changes people. We just need to love people, present God's grace and truth in the way that we speak with them and the way that we relate with them. Here's the second thing. Evangelism is about fewer statements and more questions. Evangelism is about fewer statements and more questions. That should put us at ease a little bit when it comes to evangelism. 
Because I think the number one reason why a lot of us might shy away from sharing our faith is because, well, what if I don't know the answers to the questions they may ask me? What if I don't know what to say or what if I don't know what to do? And so we just kind of back up from sharing the gospel, from ever sharing our faith. In fact, I was reminded this week of a, of a book called Finding Common Ground by Tim Downs. And Tim Downs confirms, I think, a lot of fears that we have when it comes to evangelism. And so I want to share this story because I think there's something we can learn from uh, his story about uh, evangelism. And he was part of uh, campus ministries at Indiana University. And he was talking about how one day they went and gathered at the, the building that they were meeting in. And the guy who's leading it said, hey, we're not going to have a lesson today. But instead, we're going to pair off and we're going to go out on this campus and we're going to evangelize to people. And in about an hour, we're all going to come back and we're going to share our experience. Well, you can imagine that was met with just about as much excitement as, hey, everybody's getting a root canal today. Like no one was super stoked about it. But they paired off and Tim and his friends saw this guy standing by the streetlight. And this guy met all the criteria of what they were looking for. He was alone. Seemed like he had nothing to do, and he was smaller than they were, and so they went to go and evangelize to him. And so they bring him this little track, and uh, it was just a track about like some facts, like here's why you're a sinner, here's why you need a savior. And so they start wanting to share the tracks with this guy. And so they walk up to him, and they're like, uh, sir, uh, my name's Tim, he's Dave, and we would just like to share some of the contents of this track with you. If you have a few moments, we'd love to, to share this with you. And the guy doesn't even look at him. He just keeps his eyes to the ground and starts walking away. Well, they took his silence as a yes, go ahead and share. And so they start sharing fact number one. And as they're sharing fact number one, they notice that the pace starts quickening just a little bit. Like he's starting to kind of go from a casual walk to a speed walker all of a sudden. And he's going faster. And so as they're going with fact two, they're starting to go a little bit faster as well. And all of a sudden they come to this intersection and this guy, without hesitation, leaps out, risking his life in traffic. He didn't wait for the it's okay to walk sign. He just went straight out and was dodging traffic to get away from these guys. Well, Tim and Dave, they didn't want to wait for the light to change either. And so they dart out there as well. And so now you have a picture of one guy in a dead-on sprint running away and two guys chasing after him, yelling of the gospel at this guy. It's kind of a funny scene when you think about it. And so they finally get to this man's dorm room. They're out of breath, out of sidewalk. They finish their presentation. The man looks, goes up to his door, dorm room, looks at them for the very first time, gives them the stink eye, and then slams the door shut on their face. And Tim and Dave were just regretting going back to this meeting because they were like, are you kidding me? Like, we're probably going to hear all these stories of these people just in tears coming to know Jesus. You know, they're probably just like, oh, here, going to hear all these great stories about how this frat house has now been completely changed. And now we're seeing about how great God is. And they're just going to be like, well, we chased the guy down the street and he didn't get, get away. We stayed right at it. But he concludes the, the, his story by saying this. Campus ministries or the facts on that track that they were sharing about their faith wasn't what's wrong with the story. It was that they've never bothered to make a connection. They never asked the student his name. I don't know if you caught that or not, but right at the beginning, they just introduced themselves and went straight into the whole conversation. See, when it comes to evangelism or sharing the good news of what God is doing in your life, don't make it impersonal. Be personable. Ask them their name. Ask them about their life. Ask them about their background. Ask them what they believe. Ask them if they've ever had a church experience before. Ask them what they struggle with. 
make fewer statements, ask more questions. Build a relationship up with that person. Know their story before you start throwing a bunch of statements at them and you start sounding like a know-it-all. Here's the last one. Evangelism is about you clarifying what Jesus is offering. Evangelism is about you clarifying what Jesus is offering. Because here's the reality. Some of you, you're really good at this whole relationship building thing. And you've been building relationships up and there are people in your life where if you have earned the right and the credibility to speak into someone's life about Jesus, but you haven't yet. And maybe for you, it's fear. Maybe you're not sure what to say. Maybe you're afraid they're going to ask some questions that you won't have answers to. But you know what? We can learn from Peter's example in verse 36. Keep it clear. Keep it concise. Keep it humble. And make sure you point them to Jesus. But I think the problem that a lot of us have is when we just think, well, you know what, I've I've built this relationship, but I'm just going to invite them to church. You know, the pastor will know what to say. Isn't that what we pay him for? Like, he'll know what to do. he'll, He'll get them saved and whatever. And listen, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. Easter's coming up in a few months. I'm already thinking about Easter, as many of you might be shocked by that, but I'm thinking about Easter already. And Easter's coming up, and you're gonna hear us say, hey, there's power in an invitation, We have cards. We have uh, things online where you can invite people. You can share, hey, come to church with me. We will often say that you should bring somebody with you. Don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. We believe in the power of that. I know that sometimes our job is just to kind of plant the seeds and God then uses the church as an opportunity to get people saved. So I'm not saying don't ever bring people to church. But what I am saying is this. You have earned the right and the credibility to speak into someone's life and God has put you in their life to speak the truth and grace and the wisdom, and he has equipped you with everything you need to do to share the faith. And so you need to do it. But the reality is a lot of us, we're just fine walking past people who are lost. We're even fine being in relationship with people who are lost. We go, well, you know, I don't want to bring it up because, you know, I don't want them to think anything about me. I don't want them to think that I'm weird or anything, which is just a nice way of saying, I don't really care if they're headed for hell as long as my comfort is okay. As long as I'm okay but we need to step out. We need to share our faith. So I want to close with this story that I think will hit it home for us today. Uh, Every year, except this last one because it uh, was too wet out and rainy out, but every year our family likes to go to uh, the Clarksville Running Club's Pass the Turkey event. And uh, our family loves doing that because it's a great way to burn off calories before we eat this ungodly amount of food. And so... You know, uh, so back then, my boys, um, they're all about two years apart. And Asher, my middle son, was about four years old. And so this was about the second time we had made it there. And the second year, Asher was like, and Brody, my oldest son, they were like, we're going to run this event. We, we want to run this whole thing. I was like, you haven't trained for it. Like, you, you just think you're going to run it? And they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And so I was like, all right. Now, our family's involvement is not to ever run, okay, just so you know. <laughs> Like, I used to run a lot, but uh, not anymore. And uh, I know it's probably hard to believe because I've got such a runner's bod right now. But, uh, you know, I, we, don't, we don't really run. Our family's involvement is to drink coffee, to hang out and laugh and, you know, just walk the whole thing and have a good time. Sometimes I don't even finish the race. I go around once. I'm like, we're good, right? Like, you know, like that's kind of our family's involvement. But our kids wanted to run it this year. And they've honestly ran it every single year after that. 
And so I'm like, that's fine. And they want to get up to the front. So we're at the front of the starting line. And of course, there are people there with like short shorts. And, you know, sometimes the guys don't even have t-shirts on. It's like five degrees out there. Like these are the hardcore people and they're all up there. And here's our family of five bumping into them like, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, apologies. You know, we're all bundled up, coffee spilling everywhere. And so my kids are at the starting line and they're ready to go. And you just see three, two, one, and they're off. Like they're jetting off and they're going as fast as their little legs can take them. And of course, all of a sudden, this sea of people behind us start flooding, and I can't see them anymore. I've kind of lost them. And so I, Jen was like, don't you think you should run and go find them? And so I <laughs> do what I was not ready to do. And I ran to try to find them. But it was taking me a minute. I was like, man, these kids are not this fast. Like, how could they get this far? And so I'm running, and finally I catch up to Brody. I'm like, ah, Brody, stop. <laughs> I said, where's your brother Asher? And he looks at me and like any good brother, he goes, I don't know. Like, I was like, come on, man. Like we talked about this before. Like if your brother stops, you stop. Like you can't wait for us. Don't get too far ahead. You weren't supposed to lose your brother and you lost him. And he goes, all right. And he just kind of kept going. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So now I'm getting a little bit more worried because I'm like, well, where is Asher? You know, like, so I start running. And if you, if you've ever ran this before, you know, you go around the mall twice. Well, I went around the mall one time, did not find Asher. And I was like, all right, now it's getting a little more worrisome. Like this kid is not that fast. Like he's this tall. You know, his legs are about the, the length of my arm. Like he cannot be getting this far. And so I'm now starting to panic a little bit more. And so instead of going clockwise, I go counterclockwise. And I'm yelling, Asher, Asher, where are you? And I'm yelling for him and I'm looking at people who have kids and I'm like, have you seen Asher? He looks like me, just a little bit smaller, you know? He's got this kind of hat on. He's got this jacket on. Would you help me find him? And these parents with kids that I think would help me find him didn't even stop. They just, nope, and they, or they ignored me and they just kind of kept going. And I'm running going, Asher, where are you? And I'm asking people all around me, nobody's helping me. And then finally I hear this lady go, I think he's crying in a bush over by Sears. And so I sprint over to Sears and I find Asher and there he is by a bush in tears crying because he's lost his family and he's crying and I see him and I grab him and I get down on his level and I'm like, Asher, where were you? I was calling for you. You should have stopped. Like I'm holding him, I'm hugging him and through his tears, he goes, I know, I know, I'm glad I'm found. You know, like he's just so excited to finally be back with his family again. Now here's the spiritual application of this story. As a pastor, I'm up here telling you that people are lost and hurting and they're looking for their father. And we need to get out there and do something about it. That the gospel doesn't begin and end with us, that it continues through us. And we need to tell people the good news of what Jesus has done so they can have a hope and they can have a peace. But here's my fear, is that we, myself included, would rather just run past the ashes of the world, arguing about things that aren't gonna matter in 10 years from now, talking about things that are so superficial that no one's gonna care about, we would rather just run past the ashes of the world, knowing that there is a problem, knowing that they may be eternally separated from their father, knowing we have the answer to do something about it, and we're not willing to help. 
There are ashers in this world crying out, looking for their heavenly father, looking for their purpose, looking for what they were made to do, designed to do. And God wants to orchestrate a meeting between you and somebody else so that you can bring the good news to them so that they can discover the hope and the peace that you have had. So don't just ignore the people that are lost. Do something about it. Go across enemy lines. Meet someone who's a little bit different than you. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Invite them to church. Let's do something about it instead of just coming to church feeling good about ourselves and leaving. Let's go across enemy lines, infiltrate, and take as many people to the kingdom of heaven as we can. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.